0: Speaking about an unexpected source of discouragement, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. This happens a lot in really tight, close relationships, that there's someone in your life that knows what buttons to push. Well why would they ever push buttons but to discourage you and to hurt you, to get you all stirred up. And sometimes that hurt or that stirring up with those words touch something secret that really nobody knows. Maybe a few people know it's between you and the Lord, and you thought you'd moved on from it, but... It just stifles you and it discourages you. This is a messing grace. This is a failure.
1: Discouragement. We all face it at some point, but it's especially difficult when it comes from places we didn't expect. Well, on today's Abounding Grace, we'll begin to explore several sources of discouragement so we won't be caught off guard when facing mocking, hypocrisy, or betrayal, or duplicity. Now, from Hebrews chapter 10 and Nehemiah chapter 4, with a message entitled How Discouragement Comes Our Way. Here's Pastor Ed
0: my pastor taught me and is still teaching this truth. He taught that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And as we talk about a difficult subject today, God is revealing to us some of the various ways that discouragement comes against us. And some of the temptations that we face that are primarily through people and situations that come our way that tempt us toward discouragement because discouragement is a part of all of our lives. It's so very rare for any of us to escape or resist discouragement and the ugly results that come from discouragement. Because it's true, is it not? Things don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse. Marriages don't always stay together. Sometimes there's divorce. Kids don't always walk with the Lord. Sometimes there's rebellion and backsliding. Jobs don't last forever. Layoffs and closings abound. And with life's disappointments comes discouragement. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 10, where we are in our verse-by-verse study, we learn the beauty of access to God. We learn the encouraging open door that we have to come right into the presence of God. Verse 19, therefore, brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's that open invitation for all of us to enter in to come frequently to enjoy sweet fellowship. And we're to come with full assurance, it says in verse 22, a full assurance of our faith that our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, discouragement has a tendency to take away that assurance. Discouragement has a way of us just remembering and regretting bad decisions. Discouragement undermines that cleansing and washing that God has done through the water of his word in our lives as we present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. So it's vital that we understand that this is a common tool of the enemy. And as we learn now, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, as we learn there is always opposition when you choose to follow God. Because this time in Nehemiah, has a group of a few thousand people coming back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild its broken down walls and the broken down city. It has laid in ruins for many years now. And God has raised up a new leader by the name of Nehemiah that has given a call to the people to say, anyone that wants to go back and rebuild the city of worship and rebuild the walls of protection, let's go back. And a few thousand people left everything, all that they owned, all that they knew in the country of Babylon, and they go back to repair the city and repair the walls. And what are they met with? Opposition. You can be sure of this. Anytime you decide to follow God and make a decision for God, there will be opposition. Any progress that you make in following God will be met with stiff opposition It will be met with anytime you're making progress forward, you will literally feel being pushed back in the spiritual realm. Pick up with me now in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we read through the condition of the people as they've set their hearts and their minds to work and how God wants to use them in a powerful, wonderful way to bring about a tremendous work of rebuilding and strengthening the city of worship. So notice verse one, chapter four. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So, verse six, we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You might want to circle that word, mind. We'll get to it in a moment. Verse 7. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. In our time today in God's Word, I want to point out to you the different people that came against the work of God. Because most of the spiritual warfare, most of the opposition we experience in life is from other people. Have you noticed that? It's other people. It's difficulties in our family. It's difficulties at work. It's difficulties in our neighborhood. Maybe even some difficulties that are in this room right now. The battle seems to be with people. But we make a grave error when we take that battle on and fight people. Because the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle is really not with another person as painful as that person may be. There is a spiritual reality behind that attack. The devil himself is behind that attack. The spiritual realm behind the scenes. And you know, the devil only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so the battle really isn't with other people, although other people become the presentation of the difficulty. That's one thing we learn. And we'll see some things behind these people that have come against the work of God. Secondly... I want you to notice that spiritual warfare was met by a mind to work. Notice it says in verse six that the wall got built half its height because why? The people had a mind to work, which is important for us to learn. Spiritual warfare often is an attack on your mind. That's where the battle really takes place. The battle for what you will believe. Because if the enemy can have you believe a lie, then you've lost the battle. A battle in your mind of what decisions you will make. Because it's in the will, remember we learned last time, it's God working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's in the mind where our will and our decisions are made. And so there's naturally a spiritual battle of whether you receive what God has placed in you in your will, or you respond with your own fleshly response. I mean, there's a hint of the battle in the mind when, when Paul teaches us in Ephesians about the spiritual armor to put on. The very first piece of armor he tells us to put on is what? The helmet of salvation that symbolically covers what? The mind, the head, the brain, to protect that place of decision in your life. And discouragement comes through situations. Discouragement comes through people. And discouragement is a part of the spiritual battle that you and I are in. And the whole point, the whole point of the attacks of the enemy in your life and mine is to stop the work of God in your life. Because the people committed to go back and rebuild. And that's a beautiful picture of Nehemiah, how a people come together and build But you know, there's a greater picture in Nehemiah and that's God's heart. While there was a desire to rebuild the house of worship and to rebuild the walls of protection, the greater truth of Nehemiah and the greater truth in your life is God's desire to build you and to put walls of protection around you. And to rebuild that place of worship in you so that you and I find ourselves abiding in Christ, drawing on his resources, and enjoying our relationship with him where we come in by the blood of Jesus Christ and the flesh, his own body that was sacrificed for us. So we got to keep our eyes open for discouragement. If you're taking notes, the definition of discouragement is simply this. A loss of confidence or enthusiasm. And you Bible students know that the the word enthusiasm actually comes from two Greek words. One word meaning in, and the other theos, meaning God. And the idea of enthusiasm for the believer is that you're encouraged and excited in God. You're enthusiastic. It's an exciting time to serve the Lord. A great time to serve God in this time, in this community, in this church family. But discouragement takes away that excitement. And it slows down, if not stops and stalls, the work of God in our lives. And while the situations in life are different and can vary, the causes of discouragement don't vary all that much. We pretty much face all the same things. And today I want to give you six things, six reasons discouragement comes our way. And we learn it from these people that are coming against the people of God. So notice with me, again, in verse 1, we're introduced to this man named Sanballat. Sanballat. His name literally means secret enemy, or thorny, or thornbush, Sanballat. And he's the first way that discouragement comes into our lives, and that's through secret pains, secret pains. Sanballat's name means secret enemy. And yet there wasn't much hidden or secret about his goals and his plans. He was the mastermind of this opposition. And we see right away that he begins in verse 1 to mock and ridicule because he's furious, he's indignant, and he began to mock. And he began to make fun of. And he stirred up others to say, to say these things as he was saying, oh, what are these feeble Jews doing? And will they afford it? He's making fun of them and mocking them. And he's mocking the work of God. And discouragement comes in our lives when people mock us and ridicule us and use sarcasm and these questions to question what God is doing in your life. For example, you may have made a decision to raise your children in such and such a way. And when someone in your family found out or one of your friends at work found out, what did they do? They laughed at you. Why would you do that? And, and why would you read the Bible to them? And why would you do that to your kids? And why would you have them go pick up trash or whatever it is that you have thought of that God put upon your heart to lead your children in the ways of God? It was met by, it was met by mockery. And what does mockery do? If even just for a split second, it makes you second guess your decision and you begin to wonder Did I make the right decision? Instead of walking confidently, you begin to think, well, maybe I didn't make the right decision. And you start to dwell on that. And before you know it, mockery, you know, words hurt. Did you know that? Words hurt. I know we grew up with that famous uh, nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will. You guys never heard of that? Am I going to teach it to you? We'll all sing it together. (laughs) Sticks and stones break our bones, but words will. That's not the truth, it's not the truth. Words can penetrate much deeper than a broken bone. Some of you listening to me right now are still reeling from the difficult words you heard as a child. Somebody said something so mean to you that it pierced and cut to the very core of who you are. A place where God's healing can be found, but painful nonetheless. And so Ballad, he knows the power of words and the power of mockery And he comes against the children of Israel to undermine their commitment to God, to discourage them from the work, to get them to quit. And his strategy was to use words to wither up souls, to weaken their resolve, to take away their determination. And his name means secret enemy. And here's here's the point that I'm making here. Sometimes somebody else's words awakens a secret hurt in your life, and it discourages you. Something that you thought you were over, something that you thought you moved on from, but you heard a song or someone was directly attacking you. You know, this happens a lot in really tight, close relationships. Even times might even laugh at it or chuckle at it, but you use the phrase that there's someone in your life that knows what buttons to push. Well, why would they ever push buttons but to discourage you and to hurt you? To get you all stirred up. And sometimes that hurt or that stirring up with those words touch something secret that really nobody knows. Maybe a few people know. It's between you and the Lord. And you thought you'd moved on from it. But like Sam Ballot, it just stifles you. And it discourages you. Because the enemy wants to expose our pain. He wants to take advantage of our weaknesses. And these places, secret places of pain and secret hurts, from time to time do come back to discourage us and are usually triggered by outright lies. So we gotta watch out for the sand in our life. Number two, we're introduced to another man in verse three. His name is Tobiah, Tobiah. Now, Tobiah's name is an interesting one. It means God is good, (laughs) Jehovah is good, but everything Tobiah does is bad. And so how is it that Tobiah would speak to us of a place of discouragement? Well, while his name means God is good, he finds himself in a place of joining in with Sambalat to ridicule the people of God. So how could his name possibly lead to discouragement? Well, here's what I want you to see. His name means one thing, but his actions are the exact opposite. So his name means God is good, So you would think that a man carrying that name would represent the goodness of God, but his actions are just the opposite. There's a Bible word for that. It's called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a source of discouragement in at least two ways. First of all, in the obvious way, the hypocrisies of others is very discouraging to us. It's like we don't expect it. Hey, you're a believer, but then that believer acts completely contrary to the word of God. That's discouraging. Hypocrisy is always discouraging to the believer. When you're going through difficult times, when you're facing challenges, when you're fast at work, doing what God has called you to do, trying to rebuild, remake, take a step of faith, you happen to be ripe for a hypocrite to come along and take advantage of you, thus discouraging you. Tobiah was a leader in the area. And instead of living up to his name, God is good, he lived up to the very opposite. He was the kind of guy that instead of standing for righteousness, he was just influenced by whoever was around him. Notice it says in verse 3 that Tobiah was beside Samballot. So he was just hanging out with the wrong people, which is why we constantly warn, the Bible constantly warns, there's even a passage of scripture in the Bible that says evil company corrupts good habits. You have to be very careful who you invest your life with because it's universal for all of us. Evil company will corrupt good habits. It will change you and me. It's not that we're to completely pull out of the world or to get rid of all our unbelieving friends. Absolutely not. But how careful we need to be of how we invest our time and who we hang out with. Because here, Tobiah, he's hanging out next to Sam Ballad. And of course, they've made an alliance and he joins in. Such a hypocrite. His name means one thing, his life means another. Let me give you another source of hypocrisy that brings great discouragement. And that would be our own hypocrisy. When you live the life of a hypocrite, it will discourage you. You weren't made to live that way. You weren't made to present yourself as one thing and to live the complete opposite. You weren't made to be in this church, to be a part of this church community and say, I love Jesus Christ. I'm following him. You can depend on me. And in the exact opposite, live your life and not be reliable living for the world, just pretending to be a Christian, that is discouraging. And many times when I'm speaking to someone that is discouraged, I'll find myself asking them, how's your relationship with the Lord? Where have you been? What is going on in your life? Because hypocrisy from others will be discouraging, but so will our own hypocrisy. You weren't made to be a hypocrite. You were made to walk in the light, to live a life of transparency and honesty, and fidelity, and loyalty. You were born again to live as a person we can depend upon, a person that is the salt and the light of the earth. That's, why you, that's where you find great joy. You find great joy abiding in Christ. There's no joy in hypocrisy, none whatsoever. Let me give you one more thing when it comes to Tobiah here, and that is he's standing next to Sambalat, and he was easily influenced by the behavior of Sambalat. And he stood for nothing. He was a he was more feeble minded, I believe. And because he stood for nothing, he was easily influenced by Sambalat. And it's hard to be around people like Tobiah. It's discouraging. He's one thing around you and a whole a whole different thing around others. He's nice to your face, but stabs you in the back. I think a great example in the New Testament would be a man by the name of Judas. You know, we often think and relate the betrayal of Judas directly to Jesus Christ, and you would be accurate. That is the greatest betrayal ever known to man. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ was not the only one that was shocked by the betrayal of Judas. He also betrayed his friends, the guys he spent three years with. He was a betrayer all across the board. And being around people like that is very discouraging. It is saddening. And if we dwell on it, it will just get worse. We need to be careful around Tobiah and hypocrisy. Number three, number three, would you go back to chapter two in Nehemiah with me? Because this guy was introduced a little bit earlier in the book. In Nehemiah chapter two, in verse 19, we meet a guy, it says, but when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and here's a new guy, Geshem the Arab heard it They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So the third source of discouragement comes to us from Geshem the Arab. Now his name literally means to rain, R-A-I-N, water coming, to shower, to shower down. The idea of rain and showering would be something of refreshment, but that's not Geshem here. Geshem is the kind of guy that would rain down water on your enthusiasm, pouring water on your excitement. People like Geshem love to bring others down, especially in times of great success and great encouragement. They just can't seem to enjoy with others unless they're the center of attention or it personally benefits them. This is a warning to all of us of two primary emotions that we've got to stay away from. Jealousy and covetousness. Those are really nasty emotions that will lead us to bad decisions.
1: If you'll remember, Pastor Ed Taylor began today's teaching by saying, forewarned is forearmed. Well, we'll learn more ways to arm ourselves to fight the battle of discouragement next time on Abounding Grace. Catch a replay when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Now, if you haven't already, download the free app. Simply search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Looking for some good summertime reading for that vacation of yours? Allow me to suggest The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. It's a good one. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus taught that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, become the servant of all. Now, he also modeled this through how he lived, and that's the emphasis of the Jesus style. You'll learn how to follow in the Lord's footsteps and become the servant of all. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Request your book today by calling us toll-free at 877 30 grace again 87730 grace not long ago we created an e-store which makes ordering resources like this super easy you'll find it at calvaryco.store again that's calvaryco.store and if you just want to make a donation to the ministry today but you're not really interested in the pick of the month you can donate online at aboundinggraceradio.com We'd like to connect with you before the day is done. Say hello. Tell us what God is up to in your life when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, and you can click on Connect With Us. Another way we can stay connected is through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Find the links to each on our website, AboundingGraceRadio.com. And don't miss our next study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with his abounding grace. This
0: is